0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.
1: Welcome back to IBEC Voices. In this episode, Executive Director of IBEC Global, Jackie King, will be joined by Kieran Martin, Professor of Practice in the Management of Public Organisations at Blavatnik School of Government, University of Oxford. Kieran is also founder of Britain's National Cyber Security Centre. They discuss how policy, business, and technology leaders should work together to ensure a safe, secure, and trusted internet, while also keeping it open and free to address shared generational challenges to our economy and well-being.
0: Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Oxford University Professor Kieran Martin, who is also the founder and the first CEO of the National Cybersecurity Centre in the UK. Uh, Kieran is an advisor to businesses and governments around the world and is a strategic advisor to us at IBEC Global. So welcome, Kieran, and look forward to our discussion on all things cybersecurity.
1: Thanks, Jackie. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, we'll get right into it. Kieran, you've stated before that in time, demands for safer software and safer hardware will be seen in the same way as our current expectations of safer public transport and safer drinking water. And if we work together to protect our digital environment, we'll protect all of our futures. Can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think it's about the way we as a species adapt to new inventions. There was a wonderful moment. A few years ago certainly in this country where the road traffic death statistics showed that road traffic fatalities in the UK were lower in absolute terms not relative terms than they were in the 1920s and you look at that story it's a sort of I mean obviously it's sad that any fatalities are still happening but it's a story of continuous improvement in the way society you know government industry and the consumer all work together to handle things more sensibly So some of it was law, things like drink driving. Some of it was better education, testing drivers and so forth. But a lot of it was actually just improving cars, improving car safety, making sure that if there was a head-on collision, that engines didn't go through windshields and windscreens and um, kill people in other cars and so forth. And that's a decent analogy for internet security and for tech security. These inventions came in as their finder's now say without security in mind if you look at dr and surf you know godfather of two of the main protocols that regulate internet traffic flow said look we didn't think that the world was going to be designed around this thing we didn't design this uh, to bear this uh, burden but as tech changes, we have a chance to make it safer. And you look at some of the things now, I mean, until quite recently, even if you wanted to pay more for a more secure technology, it was quite hard to. You just didn't know. And a lot of it was just free web-based services where the price of entry was your personal data, which is not a great model for security or privacy, as we now know. Now with IoT, people are, you know, governments are banning really sloppy practices like default passwords that can't be changed. But also consumers are now able to look and say well actually it's maybe slightly more expensive but it's 10 year warranty it will automatically update protections and so forth so you can see how this is developing so that's the main point the other point i'd like to say is just about the way we think about this so for 10 20 years we've been telling people to engage in cyber security out of out of self-interest, and that's fine. You know, self-interest makes the world go round, and, we, and everybody wants them perfectly responsible and worthy to take cybersecurity seriously because you want to protect yourself, you want to protect your family, you want to protect the organization you work in. But what's different now is I think, particularly since the pandemic, you know, we went to live and work in an online environment um, almost exclusively. It kept us professionally going and personally saner than we would otherwise have been. So I think we can start thinking and should start thinking about cybersecurity as an artificially created environment and with lots of pollutants and we should be cleaning it up and thinking about cybersecurity as a public good.
0: Yeah, and, and certainly it has such a, a significant impact, especially the messy parts of it that we haven't cleaned up yet has a tremendous impact on everything, even even trying to advance our efforts around climate change and, and everything else. So I, I think that's a, an excellent point. and And I think if others started thinking in that way, we'd we'd certainly be further along, you know, and certainly coming out of the pandemic our relationship with technology has changed and and how we engage. And certainly the conversation needs to change with it. And then the Russian invasion of Ukraine has further heightened the focus on safeguarding our digital environment and our resilience for governments and business and and for society. But today's reality is that there are more competing visions of the internet. And certainly in Europe, there's a political ambition for greater strategic autonomy, while other regions are, are pursuing tech industrial policies to strengthen their capacities in in strategic digital technologies. So really, an emerging bifurcation of the internet presents choices between open versus closed as well. So in addition to the public good, there's also the reality of how we are exchanging and relating to each other, whether it's at a personal level or at a business level across borders. So in addition to what you're doing you know your professorship at at oxford and and your previous role with the cybersecurity center in the uk you also advise you know governments and business leaders across the board so how can our policy business and technology leaders work together to address shared generational challenges to our economy and well-being at the same time
1: well there's an awful lot to unpack there i think the first <laughs> the objective of a safer digital environment is something that i think citizens just have to uh, get behind if it's if it's going to work and just like you wouldn't buy a defective car or defective domestic products and so forth we should be thinking that and this is where the demanding rights to safer software and hardware and um, should should come in we need safer digital services and you know we have more agency sometimes than we think so we should try to exercise those choices to incentivize the industry to make these products and services uh, safer rather than be dominated by them. And there's a whole range of things we can do um, uh, to that effect. Secondly, you mentioned the sort of bifurcation of the internet and I think that's really important. Historically, there's been one global technology system that's been US-led. Some of the cyber threats, you mentioned Russia in the context of the horrific invasion of Ukraine. That's essentially been Russia cheating on the internet that America built. However, what we have now from China is a completely different version. As you say, it's more closed and so forth. So shoring up public confidence in the Western Internet is really, really important. And it's very easy to lose confidence in that when you see some of the large scale data breaches. You look at the data breach from nearly 40% of the Australian population, uh, their medical records you look at. The disruption of everyday life here in the uk with ransomware against the royal mail you look at the disruption of healthcare in ireland you look at the disruption of uh, fuel supplies in 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 in, in uh, the u.s in, in 2021 uh, as a result of criminal cyber activity you know, there's a lot more we need to do so how do we get that um partnership together that you talked about i think there are multiple levels uh, of it one is i think there is something around if you like, consensual, engaged lawmaking. There are some very good examples of that, some very bad examples of that. In um, the interest of optimism in January, i will concentrated on the good uh, examples. If you take telecoms infrastructure regulation here in the UK, that's something the industry asked for. Uh, in, and in an informed process of discussion between government and the industry, they said, look, Asking us nicely to do cybersecurity doesn't fit our economic model. We're a heavily regulated industry. If you want us to invest in security, make it part of the regulatory system, but make it intelligently part of the regulatory system. So the government and industry had a three-year dialogue that culminated in a law that's just received royal assent, and that sort of thing It's a really good example of how different sectors, um, government and industry, can come together to design a good platform for uh, safer technology. Another great example of the same piece of legislation is is IoT legislation, and what's really interesting there is that that's aimed at the consumer, not of the industry. So it's how do you actually make sure that firstly, the products that get to people's hands, literally, you know, IoT, something you hold, a thing, how do you make sure that that's automatically free of. Serious defects, but then also in a way, the citizen doesn't have to worry about. But then it's also how do you give the consumer, give the citizen informed choice so they can decide what risk they want to bear and so on. And that's partly about regulation, it's partly about education, it's partly about engagement with the industry. And I would be optimistic about this for all sorts of reasons. First, I think the imperative is there. I think people understand that if we don't shore up public confidence in technology, we're going to be stuffed. So, you know, there is mutual benefit in doing this. Secondly, a lot of the industry is public spirited about this. It's very easy to criticise tech and say that it's venal and so forth. But if you take the cybersecurity industry uh, globally and you look at what it's done to help Ukraine, for example, there's an awful lot of public spirited, benevolent behaviour out there and very cooperative engagement with governments. But most importantly, we're not playing catch up with new technology in the way that we're playing catch up with old technology. With the old technology, it just came in. It, Very few people foresaw what was going to happen, and then it was, oh, okay, we've got this brilliant new set of technologies, that greatly enhance communication of all sorts of opportunities for commerce, for creativity, for connectivity, but we don't know how to secure them. This time we can see what quantum looks like, we can see what applied use of AI looks like, we can see what other things um, look like, and we can say, right, before we put these into the open market, before we become completely dependent on these things, Can we have a conversation about how to secure them? That's the most important positive opportunity that we have in the years ahead. And it sounds like there is
0: lots of opportunity, and certainly I, I like you know what you were touching on in terms of of engaging at the consumer level and giving people a choice as that happens, and certainly in the workplace and just outside of the te- technology realm, we're seeing certainly in in some of the business leaders we speak to that cyber risk is like never before been elevated to the C suite and boardroom tables as a strategic corporate risk, and and how do you manage that? It's not a the IT department's problem anymore. It's not. It's not a technology problem per se anymore solely. So what's some practical advice you could give to business leaders as they grapple with you know protecting their organizations for cyber, from cyber risk, particularly as they're adopting some of these newer technologies uh, you know AI or otherwise, and as they are dealing with a more diverse and regionally disparate hybrid workforce and 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 other factors like that?
1: Four things. First, try to get rid of, as quickly as you can, legacy and outdated IT estate because you can't secure it. You can sometimes mitigate some of the risks, but there's a reason why the companies that make and service these things phase them out. So if you are, and I appreciate that there are commercial difficulties. But if you have a big legacy, then phase it out as quickly as you can. Bring in new stuff with security in mind. So that's the first thing. And then, of course, keep it up to date. Secondly, have some way of detecting malicious activity on your network that doesn't rely on staff who aren't cybersecurity experts getting 100% of things right 100% of the time like clicking on dodgy links and so forth. If somebody who is a good employee who gets three, 400 emails a day that person clicks on a link and brings down the company. That's not that person's fault, it's the company's fault because you should never design a system like that. You should have ways of detecting, mitigating, cauterizing the uh, intrusion. Thirdly, plan your resilience. You know, even with the best defenses, sometimes you can get unlucky, sometimes you can get targeted by a very clever malicious actor. So, in every major cyber incident that I can think of, most important issues in the first 24 crucial first 24 hours afterwards were often not technical they were how do we keep this business running it doesn't have to be at 100 percent but how do we keep this business not at 0 percent maybe at 50 and you know by 48 hours at 75 etc etc so planning that resilience make sure you're over, over, not overly dependent on one system you know how to invoke backups and all the rest of it that sort of thing is 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 absolutely crucial and a lot of that isn't um, about technical issues about business process issues and then finally don't skimp on thinking about the supply chain don't take easy shortcuts there aren't any easy shortcuts on the supply chain anymore the supply chain is full of risk both operational risk suppliers can get done over Um, but also as we're talking about the politics of supply chains are more complicated now. Cybersecurity five years ago was conceptually much easier than it is now. Five years ago, it was just, I have a network, I need to keep it as safe as possible from a bunch of people who want to cheat on it. Uh, that's still true, but um, also now people are thinking, particularly governments, particularly Washington, which of course is crucial, and global tech is thinking more of, well, where are the chips coming from? Who owns the cables? Who operates them? And if you take easy shortcuts, you could find that you know, a major geopolitical shift, either a policy shift, like some of the things that are coming out in the US Congress now, or a you know, major global disruption like the pandemic or a war um, just really messes, messes that up. So think about where you're getting your tech from and how resilient that is as well. And that's something new to think about. And certainly supply
0: chains from a technology standpoint, but you know, there's a lot of discussion just in general about supply chain security, whether it's good services across borders during a pandemic or otherwise. And then there's also risk of the partners that you deal with and and those in your value and supply chains across the board being vulnerable. So, and having that requirement for cybersecurity and there's ways around it. Have you have you seen any organizations or or maybe you're not exposed? To that but those that do it well and how do they ensure that the risk and their organization is protected from some of these suppliers that are in different jurisdictions and regions
1: well again there's a lot there to unpack i think firstly the organizations that do it well they start with a very clear understanding and acceptance of risk so they're not myopic they don't think they can reduce risk to zero so they work out what they can tolerate and where they can tolerate it and how much and for how long and so on and what is a reasonable risk posture to uh, adopt. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that they have a really good dialogue between the technical experts who will run the computer network defences and supply chain risks and and, and so forth and senior uh, leaders. So, you know, they are um, too savvy to fall for things that essentially aren't true, such as, you know, technology knows no borders, actually it does. we have agency. Um, They're not the same borders and they don't operate in the same way as the international frontiers that we've grown used to in the 20th century, Um, but there are uh, technological uh, borders. So for example, if you take something badly wrong, so there was a major western-led international exposure of a massive Chinese commercial espionage operation in 2019. That was all about the lack of segregation and segmentation of networks by geographical borders, which people do all the time, but wasn't done in this case, with pretty catastrophic consequences. The petty the infamous Not NotPetya attack, which started off with the Russians yet again harassing innocent Ukrainian businesses, went global again because major multinationals weren't segregating uh, networks. You saw advice when you know the murderous invasion of Ukraine started, uh, you saw advice um, from various international authorities to you know segment networks by country and in, in 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 that region, perhaps to clear out particular areas where you could assume that total compromise by the state and so forth. So it's being savvy about the wider uh, context, and specifically as regards to supply chains, yeah, it's again it's again it's about being realistic. Any organization, particularly an organization of any size, that tries to map out its entire supply chain and all its dependencies is going to fail because it's just too complicated. So there are, I think, two practices that complement each other. One is there are some dependencies that are obvious. You know, you don't have to draw great, great detailed policies to say you make the thresholds. This, this supplier relationship makes the threshold. It can be pretty obvious. So go manage it because you know what's important. And then the second thing is understand how your processes work. So even if there's this bit of supply chain at fourth remove that you've never heard of, you still know enough about how the processes work so you could withstand a disruption in it.
0: Oh, interesting. And you just gave an example of a, a cyber incident. And, and it seems like it's becoming more and more commonplace. It, it's almost, you know, there's so many of these cyber events happening now. Do you think we risk being complacent about it? You know, I I get what you were saying about accepting a certain level of risk. but But do you think we are getting to a point of being complacent about, well, it's digital, it's online? All these things happen all the time and a general sense of complacency happens and, and we'll deal with it if it happens to us. Are you seeing any of that or do you think that it, it is still a burning critical issue that people are really mindful of?
1: I think it's patchy and the details matter. So it varies between organizations, but also sometimes it varies by subject. So I think um, things like critical infrastructure disruption by nation states has been taken incredibly seriously. There's all sorts of really interesting, important and worthwhile work being done on that making ourselves harder targets and so forth I think data breaches however we sort of normalised them, we've lost the actual sense of why this matters and why some data breaches matter more than others and so on and I think to some extent the criminals have therefore got ahead of us on that I think also in terms of, you know, we've normalized cybercrime a bit much, you know, um, you and me, even if we work with high profile and strategically important organizations in our everyday lives, we're still far more likely to encounter organized international cybercrime than we are to feel the wrath of a hostile nation state. But again, we've normalized the payment of ransoms, just in some areas, it's just a cost of doing business in ransomware, which is why that issue has exploded. And you know, the explosion of ransomware is not really a cybersecurity problem. It's a public policy problem um, you know the criminals are choosing to do ransomware not because it's technically easier than other forms of cyber harm but because it pays better and that's a public policy problem so there are really good things happening and loads of work going on in updating uh, laws to require safer technology there's loads of really good engineering and research and scientific work being done to make technology safer there's loads of hardening Of our security, and particularly in sort of critical infrastructure areas, but at the same time, in data, in ransoms, and just in general, in terms of thinking about cybercrime, certainly you can make a case for some sloppiness.
0: Yeah. And you said, you know, the the cyber criminals seem to seem to be ahead of it. And and certainly the the cyber industry and technology and, and as we make advances, but ensuring that our policies that we develop remain fit for purpose and are future proof what kind of trends or or what are you seeing developing in cybersecurity in the next three, five, 10 years that business leaders, policy makers uh, need to be thinking about now so that anything that's being developed now will work in the next couple of years should should things start to evolve in the area of cybercrime?
1: So it's a really interesting question and at the risk of a little bit of repetition, I'll identify uh, a few trends. Uh, So one is, I think that There'll be less volunteerism in uh, complying with cyber security standards i think governments are going to be more active uh, in this um, space and i don't say that even though i spent most of my career in a major government i don't say that as a sort of you know big regulatory threat actually done well you know businesses can i think adapt and feel uh, well supported by this um, cyber security is not an issue where. I certainly, when I was in government, heard business demand that government got out of the way in the way that they sometimes do in other areas of business life. But what I think it does mean is that the ability to just coast and hope for the best will wither over time because there'll be more actual formal requirements to do cybersecurity well at organizational uh, level. So that's the first trend. I think the second trend and link to that is that we'll stop thinking primarily about intrusions and we'll think more about outcomes. So, you know, in a sense and again there's a there's an upbeat bit here and an optimistic bit here for organizations. So it's not gonna be, you know, prevent X number of attacks, prevent this or that. It'll be look, we don't really care how what the inner workings of your uh, cyber defences are, but can you just stop bad things from happening in terms of outcomes? So, you know, disruptions of services and so forth. It'll it'll be a much more integrated between technical and non-technical things, just about how do you keep things running. If you do have a major intrusion, how do you, it will be just about how do you reduce the likelihood of being successfully attacked? How do you reduce the impact if you are? Um, I think there'll be a lot of that in terms of how people think about this, how you measure it, and indeed how it's regulated. I think a third trend is there will be a lot more interchange between private and public sectors on this. And again, I think uh, that's a good thing. A fourth point will be that continued sort of intensification. Um, there'll be an intensification of that process of the bifurcation of the um, of the Internet and therefore the intensification, the broadening of the concept of cybersecurity, not just computer network security, but just you know, your tech stack and dependencies and supplies and all, and, and all of that. And then finally, I think that in five years' time, most organizations will be using mostly new things. You know, they will be deprecating older networks and older capabilities, and they'll be bringing in new stuff. And the key thing there is that, you know, there's no excuse now for not putting security at the heart of that strategy of implementation because that's the time to do it. You know, nobody should ever have a security-led, you know, IT or other tech procurement strategy, security should be a supporting and enabling function, but not not a retrospectively fitted one. So just work out at the time when you're redesigning and upgrading the systems, right, okay, what I need this thing to do, how do I need it to work, and what's the most effective balanced security component I can put into that. Now, if we get that right, I think we can be in a much better position in five years' time.
0: Thank you for that, Kieran. Uh, terrific insights as always. Um, we could go on and on on this topic. It, it is a big one. It's got far reaching implications. Um, cybersecurity cybersecurity is, is, is an issue that will remain top of mind, especially as we start to solve all of the world's problems. So thank you very much for being with us today and uh, really appreciate the time.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of IBEC Voices. For more episodes, please visit iBEC.ie slash podcasts.
0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.